Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. Third time's the charm. Third time today. (laughs) What a great day. (laughs) I don't know how we let that happen, but there it is. (laughs) I'm not even going to ask you about the parabola again. It's okay. We'll just, we'll leave the parabola on the side and the asymptotes and all that other nonsense. Tonight, we're joined by John Bartlett. Now, John, where are you physically? I can't remember. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. All right. Awesome. Windy place, right? Uh, usually, yeah. <laughs> Do you have to where wear the wind comes shoes? sweeping down the plains? <laughs> you have to wear gravity oh, yeah. shoes to keep from being. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. It, it's just flat here, and so the there's nothing stopping the wind. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was at Chinute Air Force Base doing um, tech training for the U.S. Air Force, and you could stand on the highest building on Chinute Air Force Base, which was only like three stories. And you could see Champaign, Illinois, 25 miles away. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, I, I used to work in Champaign, Illinois. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I worked for uh, Wolfram Research way back in the day. Oh, cool. Yeah. I was, I was, I was in Champaign for nine months for tech training. Uh, it's nine and a half, ten months. After you take in breaks and everything, it was officially nine months. But, yeah. Um, so, there's been a lot of hype around AI. Chat GPT and how Chat GPT is going to change the entire landscape of security and privacy. And AI is going to allow us to auto heal all our networks and everything else. So I've heard this hype for so long, and I thought I would call my friend John, who I know from other places, and say, Okay, you write a lot on Mind Matters. You've been looking at AI maybe more than I have, probably more than I have. Let's try to get a more realistic (laughs) view of what's going on. And maybe instead of even giving the realistic view, let's talk about like what it's promising. What are we being Mm -hmm. promised with this stuff? Like what's the background? What problem are we, are people saying, oh, we're going to solve X? What's X? So that's one of the the things about AI is that... um, there, there's sometimes difference between uh, engineering solutions and philosophy solutions, <laughs> and it's it's always good to to distinguish those. And so AI actually does really cool things when when people offer it as in, an engineering solution, and it usually is pretty lackluster when people offer it as a philosophy solution. Okay. So, kind of a, a, an example of this is is uh, we've got uh, Elon Musk's self driving cars, right? And so he's been promising self-driving cars uh, for about uh, a decade now, almost. And so the thing is, is that he's always uh, said, well, it's just going to drive just like anything. Else. It's going to drive everywhere. Um, you know, So he's not placing any boundaries on where it's going to work. He's just saying it's going to work everywhere, all the time, forever. And basically, just um, he's, he's basically saying, well, it's just going to do whatever we want it to do. And as of today, it's nowhere near being able to do anything, really. I mean, it, it can it, it can be a driver assistance program, but there's no place on Earth that it can just drive unassisted. On the other hand, you have um, you have companies like Waymo who have mapped out specific sections of 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 uh, of different cities 
and they have figured out what exactly their uh, engineering domain is, and they have developed a solution where cars actually do drive themselves. And and uh, there are places in the country right now where you can go and get in a car that does not have a driver and get somewhere. And so, um, you know, if if you take it as an engineering solution, AI can do a lot of cool things. But when you try to say, oh, you know, we're just going to sprinkle some AI on it and it's going to solve all our problems, uh, that doesn't really work. Yeah. Yeah, I have a couple of other. I mean, I know people who drive Teslas in San Francisco, and they do use the self-driving thing when they're in traffic. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's stop-and-go traffic on the 101, they'll sit there and read a book and let the car do the acceleration and the stop and stay inside the lanes because it can see the yellow line, the white line. It can see the car in front of it. It can see the car behind it. You know, it's it's actually a kind of a limited problem you're going to solve. Now, the same thing at UTK. I go over to University of Tennessee all the time. And on campus here in Knoxville, they have these little robots that are heated and cooled. And they'll bring you dinner instead of having a delivery driver. And so these cute little robots, they wander around the campus. And they know where the, they know where the crosswalks are and where the bridges are. And they'll avoid the crosswalk and go on a bridge if they can to avoid traffic. And they'll wait at the crosswalk until there's a uh, somebody, some human comes up and pushes the button and gets the walk signal going. And, you know, they're they're pretty cool and people are really enthused with them. But again, it's a very fixed, limited problem domain. Mm-hmm. It's a single campus with 20, 30 streets, whatever it is, you know, a limited number of places you're going to deliver food, a limited number of crossings over the streets. Right. Uh, you know, it, the AI doesn't even need to learn where those are, right? You can program them in. You can say, okay, this crosswalk has a signal. This one doesn't, mm-hmm. right? And and so that it's very, um, it's a very limited domain. And so I think that's that's kind of what we're seeing is that AI is kind of useful if you narrow the problem, right? But if the problem is too broad, forget it. Yeah, uh, it, it sometimes kind of becomes somewhat of a information theory version of a perpetual motion machine. And, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, way back in the day, um, they, in, in physics, you had people who were proposing perpetual motion machines and, uh, you know, they, they would somehow generate more energy than they were put in. And the fact is, it just doesn't work. The laws of physics say that it doesn't work. And likewise, the laws of information theory say that, uh, you can't do that with artificial intelligence either. Um, and that's one of the things I think is most interesting. A lot of people use AI to kind of paper over the question of where did this information come from to begin with. And the fact is, is that most of the things that AI does that's interesting actually comes from some some external set of data. And you're like, well, who who collected that data? Why did they think it was important? Uh, how did they collect it? Those are all interesting questions that kind of just, when someone just says AI, you kind of forget that all those questions exist. So I, I like to tell a story. Um, it, it, it's somewhat of a true story. Uh, uh, there's a, a convenience store here in town. And so imagine two convenient, two different convenience store chains. All right. So one of them spends a million dollars for each new location, scouting out, um, scouting out the perfect corner. They figure out where the traffic is and uh, who's hungry and who needs gas and that sort of thing. They they find the perfect spot and they put in their convenience store. So the strategy of the other company is they're just going to look at what 
the first company put their convenience stores and put one right next to it. <laughs> right? Um, yes. And so that that's the way that I really feel AI is working is that they're basically, um, you know, you, they're looking at where is the other group putting their stuff. And that's, I mean, from a cost benefit analysis, that's a low cost way of doing that. But sometimes people forget that it's also parasitic on having someone who actually goes out and does that sort of thing. And uh, so what's a, what, what's a concrete example of who, who right now, who is the first grocery store and who is the second? Yeah. So, um, so let, let's take uh, this uh, open AI, um, uh, the chat GPT. Or actually, chat GPT is a little bit different because there's some evidence that they're actually including humans to kind of uh, uh, pretty up some of the output. Yes. But just a, the general yes. uh, OpenAI's uh, GPT-3 uh, API. So what is that doing? Well, it's feeding off of what people have written. So you've got uh, you know people. You, they've got Wikipedia. They've got um, just all sorts of, of data sources that they're pulling in and they're feeding off of it. So, you know, the person, the, the company A is the one that actually typed all that in to begin with, because without that, OpenAI couldn't do anything, couldn't do anything at all. And there's actually a, a, a problem, which it's, it's wet recognized inside the AI community, but it's not well recognized outside the AI community. And that is what happens when AI starts feeding off of its own data. So, you know, OpenAI starts generate generating these kind of if you if you've read the OpenAI blog post generated stuff it's kind of it's not it's not bad it's it's like you know it's it's probably better than what a middle schooler can write um, but it's not fantastic either and so what happens when the internet just gets chock full of this mediocre writing that's derivative of all this other writing well the next time OpenAI goes and searches the web for content, it's going to pull up its own content. So then the next round is going to be actually worse than the previous one because it's going to be biased towards mediocre generated content. And it's going to sound more wooden than it did before. And so that's where you have to be cognizant of where is your information coming from? Who's get, where's the clean source? How is this being processed? And the problem with AI isn't that the tools aren't good because the, the tools are actually really cool. Um, it's that, that people are using the idea of AI to paper over the good questions of where is this information even coming from? Yeah. Yeah, it's, that is, you know, this reminds me of the joke about a million monkeys typing on a million typewriters producing the works of Shakespeare. And the answer is, yes, they can produce the works of Shakespeare. The problem is, how do you know when they have? Mm -hmm. And that's because you had to have had the works of Shakespeare to create a filter so that you know when the works of Shakespeare have been produced. And by the way, the filter itself is biased mm -hmm. towards getting to the point where they have shown it. So this is also true of social media companies, right? To get into one of my little hobby horse things here. They don't really produce content but they produce filters on content. And so they say, well, we're not a publisher. Well, really, you're not a publisher in the sense that you don't create content, but you're a publisher in a sense that you arrange and filter content 
to produce a certain output. And so just like you can take the input of a million users or a billion users on a social media network, and you can produce the works of Shakespeare if you choose to. Mm -hmm. Because, hey, you've got all this raw material. All that really matters is the filter. If I take a random thing and I push it into a, I mean, this is electronics, right, John? This is, I mean, this is basically what you get, right? I can take any garbage I want to and stuff it through the filter. And if I have totally random noise and I stuff it through the filter, the random noise is going to come out looking like what I filtered on. And then you're going to say, oh, look, I produced output from randomness. Right. Well, yeah, you did, but. <laughs> There's a technical <laughs> no, way no. in which that's true. Yes, that's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I think I think that's part of what is going on here is that, like you said, ChatGPT apparently also has humans behind it. I mean, Alexa does. I mean, Siri does. They all have humans in the background somewhere. Mm -hmm. and, and that's because exactly what you're saying. You can't take the previous output of Siri or Alexa or any of these assistants and use them to train the assistant itself on how to recognize certain words in human languages. Yeah. And you got you got to have ground truth. Yeah, and a lot of people miss that this is um that this is actually a big part of AI. And sometimes it's sometimes it's more forefront and sometimes it's more background. Um I I I I call it uh I'm, there's a term called artificial artificial intelligence where you have a <laughs> Uh, a person pretending to be a, to be an AI, and uh, this happens. I mean, so so um, this happens a lot more than you might expect. The uh, a Amazon's got a whole system just to do this for other people. Um, so Mechanical mm -hmm. Turk, yeah, yeah. There's a, a and and so I, I tell because Mechanical Turk for those who don't know, in the I think it was the 1600s they had this uh, mechanical chess player called the Turk. And, uh, and, you know, I tell people, you know, this, this in the 1600s, you had a mechanical machine that would actually play you and beat you at chess. And I'm like, well, you know, you might be wondering how did they have such advanced technology in the 1600s to do this? Well, the, the answer is there was just a dude in the box and he was manipulating the levers and controls and he was just hidden in there. And uh, there's a lot of AI that's been produced that winds up uh, to some degree or another just having a dude in the box. And uh, and Amazon has a, a mechanical Turk system that allows you to put dudes in the boxes, and um, <laughs> and that's that that's yeah. the uh, that's kind of the the background that kind of helps you um, put humans into the artificial intelligence loop. And it's it's not a bad engineering yeah. solution. It's just, yeah. uh, I, no, it's just it'd just be good if if people were more clear about when this was happening, and because it's you know it's it's hard to say. Oh, we have this AI solution. Oh no, we actually have a call center in in uh, in another country that's just handling this for us. You know, one of those sounds sounds really advanced, and the other one sounds really plain. But they may actually be the same solution. Well, and it's also there's also a matter of perception. Well, two things. First of all, there's a matter of perception in the movies as well. R2-D2 was a guy in a, in a costume. Yeah. C-3PO was a guy in a costume. But somehow we take those suspension of disbelief for the movies and we want to take it into the real world. Yeah. And, and we don't realize there's still a guy in the actor suit. Like, seriously, there just is. And the other thing I want to say is that 
Part of the reason is, is because a lot of companies realize privacy is a big deal for people. They won't turn on a home assistant that listens to them all the time unless they are convinced that it is an AI computer Mm -hmm. that is one step separated from humans. Like when I worked for LinkedIn, the first thing you could do to get yourself fired was to use your passwords to get into user data. Mm -hmm. You would be out the door in two seconds flat. Now, on the other hand, if you, you access the user data in bulk, in an anonymized form, using scare quotes there, then you were cool, mm-hmm. right? And so there's this, this degree of separation we believe we have. When you talk to that home assistant, it's not a person listening to you. It's an AI. And the person behind the AI doesn't really have access to what you said. And honestly, it's bunk. And so a lot of these people are selling this because, hey, your information is still private. There's not a person behind this. Mm-hmm. It's going to a computer, and the people who work for us don't have access to what you said. It's bunk. It really is. There's a person back there listening. Um, if the AI can't figure out what you said, you had that big row with your with your uh, your significant other, and the home assistant was listening to the whole thing. And it was trying to figure out if it heard its own name in there and it couldn't figure it out. So it sent that recording of that whole vow to some guy sitting in a data center or in a call center someplace. And he listened to you arguing with your significant other over the color of your dog's collar or I don't know, whatever it is or what to eat for dinner because the AI can figure it out. Imagine having to be the guy that types that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've heard they get PTSD. I can imagine. (laughs) There's actually an interesting book um, that you know, if for for people who don't know much about this, called Ghost Work, uh, that that covers a lot of the. I I, I disagree with the art, the authors politically, but uh, that it's one of the few books that really describes uh, from a social perspective what the lives of people who do this kind of work on a daily basis look like. Yeah, and it's crazy. So, yeah, so if I bring this back around to networking, I mean, we've been kind of pushing on AI as a concept and stuff like that. There's a couple of things that I think are really important. The first is somebody's got to train the model. Mm -hmm. Let's say I'm going to produce a product that says, I know when your network is going to fail. Great. I mean, Disney, by the way, did this many years ago in their parks where they said, "We we can judge that a particular brand of light bulb purchased in a certain lot number is going to fail in a certain number of years. And so they had a spreadsheet, basically, where they predicted all the light bulbs were going to fail. So they would send their maintenance people around because you can't have a ride with broken light bulbs. It's dangerous. It's against, you know, regulations and stuff. So they would send their maintenance people around a month before the light bulb was going to fail on average, and they'd replace the light bulbs. And so, I mean, we can do that kind of thing, but you've got to, I mean, how'd they know this? How they know this is your point, right? Mm-hmm. Don? Like how they know when that's going to happen. The, and the problem with that AI brings is that AI sometimes uh, hides the you know how is it that we know these things. And so, in fact, one of the things with AI is that you're you're kind of creating a model that is uh, opaque to uh, to be able to view in. Now, there's a few forms of AI where they have. Uh, non-opaque models that you can actually query the model themselves and find out why, you know, you can ask it, why did you make this decision? And it can kind of, it can kind of express its decision tree for you. But on the whole, 
um, AI in general kind of uh, hides the hides the model itself in a black box, and so you don't know what it's triggering on, and so it's hard to really to say for sure that that this is uh, that that this is triggered for a, a a good reason or a bad reason. Yeah, there is a. And, and by the way, this is this is hitting us in the real world. I mean, there. I don't. I don't know. You know, politically or whatever. But we know, for instance, that you know the COVID thing. We know that global warming. All this stuff is based on models. And right or wrong, they're still based on models. And those models are still basically opaque to the average person. Mm-hmm. That's just the real world. And so we're making very deep, strong political decisions that impact people's lives in very severe ways, in many cases, based on a model that nobody understands, other than perhaps a handful of people someplace. So that's a real danger in this entire field of AI, is handing our human decisions over to these things and and saying, no, we don't really need to know, right? It's 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 we'll call it something and it's okay, it's done. Now, again, going back to networking, I would contend this impacts the networking world in the sense that AIs tend to be brittle in this way, that you you don't know where the information's coming from and the model is opaque and you don't know what it's doing. So the AI could decide, oh no, I need to, I need to shut that interface down on that router over there because because I think there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And like, wait. There was no human involved, and that's cool for when you think about it, but it's not cool when you think about it because maybe the AI model doesn't have the full picture that the human does. Yeah. Well, I, I, think, I think that there are some opportunities here. I don't think it's all, all gloomy. I think – so if you look at a really simple problem in network operations, uh, optics, right? Optics, as they, as they reach the end of their useful life, a lot of them do have ways of telling you that they're about – like the bulbs and, in, 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 you know, the I was going to say Disney's, Disney bulbs are optics, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, they, they, they have some ways that I think are fairly broadly understood about – you know, they'll tell you that they're about ready to kick the bucket. Yeah. And, and, and in, that, in that domain, I think you – AI could could uh, deployed properly um, could help to refine human judgment, and I think that needs to be the goal. Rather than saying let's figure out how mm-hmm. we can turn it all over to the machines, mm-hmm. um, let's refine refine and enhance human judgment. And I think if it's taken in that sort of a in that sort of a way, it, to your point of um, you know transparent models and you know how did you reach this decision? I think there's some really interesting and really some things that that society could really benefit from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, taking the other way of how do I just get the get a lot of work done and not have to really know what's going on? That's just the same problem we've always had, which is layers on top of layers, and people don't know what's underneath. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no different. Like, and I can see how a business decision maker would say, "Well, I don't know how this stuff works anyway. Why should I care if it's a computer doing it or a human doing it, being opaque to me?" Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that's that's Keith's law, and that's the law of leaky abstractions. But go ahead, John. Well, I, I was just going to say that. Part- Part of the issue, the specific issue with AI is that a lot of AIs specifically are opaque. I mean, it's not just that that there's, a, you know, you might not know or I might not know, but that nobody knows. I mean, I mean, in theory, you could you could dissect the model in some sort of disassembly like way, but ultimately, there's there's not a a good way of of really understanding understanding the models. The uh, but I, I I agree with your point. Um, one of the things that I like you know think about predictive text. Predictive text is super helpful, 
um, it doesn't replace you as a writer. And so one of the things that I've always thought is a really good use of AI is anytime you use AI uh, as, a, as a suggestion box. You know, if, if it is suggesting something to you and you have the final say, that's, uh, that's a lot better than uh, leaving it over to the, to the artificial intelligence where you don't know how the model works. Because that, one thing that they found is that there's a lot, a lot of AI models where minor changes, you can get radically different outputs. And so you can, uh, you know, just change little pixels that you might not, uh, might not even make a difference to someone looking at it and it'll, it'll reclassify the image. And so, you know, that, that's the sort of thing yeah. that could be easily t- be taken uh, advantage of by, by hackers or, or just accidents. Uh, but, you know, so if you're, if leaving it over and saying, okay, we've trained this model, now we're done, that's a problem. Yeah. And I'll give you, you know, another example of that that I think would be really useful that would aid humans is in false positives. Okay. I think as a human, I'm looking at my network and I see something I think is wrong. And I see, uh, you know, all this stuff coming at me and I get so many alerts. I can't figure out really what I should work on first. I can't triage. Um, Processor stuck in skin scheduling process, basically. Like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. And I think the ability of AI to weed out and say, oh, no, that's just not important. Self-driving example, right? Actually, a lot of accidents happen because people panic, mm. mm-hmm. right? I mean, I was once sitting in an intersection and I saw a lady, a poor woman, pulled out, making a left-hand turn. The car in front of her decided he couldn't make the left so he slammed on his brakes in the middle of the intersection. She rear-ended him. Okay, well, you know, whose fault is it? I don't know. Is she following him too close? It's the left-hand turn lane. You want to push through the left-hand turn. You don't want to be stuck in the intersection. But then, just completely out of the blue, she realized she hit him, and then she realized she was in the middle of the intersection, so she threw her car in reverse and hit the car behind her, right? <laughs> Total panic. That's all that is. It's total panic. Now, if there would have been an AI system, just like when you go to hit the brakes and you're like, I've got to stop right now, and you cause your car to go into a skid, an AI system could step in and say, nope, I have computed that you are not going to hit that object Mm. at this particular rate of braking. Stop hitting the brakes so hard. Don't make, I mean, this is what ABS systems do, but without the intelligence so much, right? Right. Any longer. Um, or that not yet, as far as I know. But, you know, AI systems could also be used to say, all right, slow down, stop. I know you're an information overload. You're a person. Let's, let's like, reel it back in a little bit. <laughs> that seems like a good application to me, too. Yeah. But. So the, the one thing that's um, really interesting that, uh, I've, that computers can do really well, as well, is the uh, computers are really good at at basically balancing weights. So if you think about most problems there, you you can separate most problems into kind of two categories, the actual parameterization of the problem, and then the parameters themselves. And so uh, what computers in general and AIs in particular are are very good at is uh, figuring out what the parameters should be set to, but the actual parameterization is usually best done by humans. And there's a uh, there's an interesting book uh, called, I believe it was How to Measure Anything. 
and he goes into into details on several different studies that were done on on the fact that if you uh, especially for medicine the if if you were not if you did not parameterize the models ahead of time the uh the artificial intelligences uh, were were much worse than doctors at uh trying to locate diseases but if you had uh, if you had the doctors set the parameters uh, the AIs were much better at determining the weights, the relative weights of each parameter than the doctors were. Mm-hmm. And, that's that's really cool. Yeah, and, and the way that I oftentimes express this, because this is this is how it's more fundamentally true, is there's there's a difference between uh, axioms and theorems, and so the parameterization is kind of the axiom part where you're actually saying this is the things, this is the way that the world works, somewhat by decree. Um, and then the theorems are where you put together the axioms to make truth of things. And uh, computers do really, really well at generating theorems from axioms. Um, but axioms kind of need the imagination of a human to actually work correctly. Yeah, that's cool. I think the other thing that, that people concern, get concerned about with AI, and it probably concerns me as well, is the moral hazard ex- aspect of it. So say that you did have the perfect AI that could troubleshoot the network for you. Is that ultimately really a good thing? Um, Because humans only learn in the face of difficulties, in the face of challenges. You know, you you learn as a weightlifter, I can only build weight if I lift heavier weights or build muscle if I build lift heavier weights. As a shooter, you learn, I can really only be a better shooter if I go compete against people who are better than I am and learn how to like emulate what they're doing and see what they're doing and figure out what they're doing. You know, Starfleet Command had the Kubayashi Marie or whatever it was called thing to put people in front of challenges, mm-hmm. right? I, I wonder sometimes if there is a moral hazard in handing too much over to AIs and just not like, do we reach this point where we have a slow creep where we're giving more to AI and we're not taking things on ourselves so that we no longer have the ability to do things like be the same, the source of truth mm-hmm. that the AI needs to, you know, go back to your chat GPT thing, right? Not only will it find its own stuff, but it'll find its own stuff because nobody else knows how to write anymore. So basically it's talking to itself yeah. and no one else is listening. I, I can see that right. as a definite possibility. Um, so one one thing that I'd be curious about, and I have no idea if this is the case or not, but um, you know, if you think about uh, chess engines, I'm curious: have chess engines improved or hurt? Like if you like the game of chess, and I'm, by that I don't mean like mm. um, you know our leave cheating aside, um, but just if 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 you take players today uh, who have you know who grew up around chess engines. And you compare that to players who did not, um, you know, are are the ones today, you know, because you know, honestly, a lot of people do cheat, and that's how a lot of people, you know, boost up their rankings is by letting the computer play for them. And so, what what has that done? And I I don't know the answer to that. I don't know yeah. if anybody. Well, here- I mean, I, I mean, I know I know another field where this is, I think, a big deal, which is original languages. In like scripture studies and stuff, mm-hmm. right? And like, there used to be a time when you would have a Greek expert in every town, pretty much in the U.S. Anyway, 
Now you don't. Why? Because why bother? I mean, I can just let some software package do the translation for me. I don't really care. And so I do wonder about this moral hazard aspect of this. And have we thought very deeply about what that means in a meaningful way? And I'm not really sure we have. So I don't know. Uh, the, the example from my life, which is a little simpler, is um, I've moved a few times in the last few years. And when I come to a new city, I just, I just use the GPS in my yep. phone. And I find that after a year, I still can't get to very many places without mm, it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so now I've started to say, okay, I'm, I'm turning that off. I'm going to leave a little bit earlier so that I can not be a slave to the machine. <laughs> but, then, but then I think, well, how important is it that I know by hand, by, by, by memory, how to get to these? Does it really matter that much? Uh, I think there's, uh, there's some things for which it actually maybe it doesn't matter. But then there are others that absolutely, absolutely does matter. And I think the hazard is that we can't distinguish between the two. Um, and mm-hmm. our ability to distinguish is probably dulled by depending on the machines for too many of the decisions. To well, start I mean, with. I would go even further than that. Do we lose the ability to think in that way? Are we losing some ability to think spatially mm-hmm. because we mm, rely on GPSs all the time? I, I can't answer it. It's just a moral hazard question. And it worries me a little bit. Again, going even going back to the network engineering world, if you allow the AI to decide on your networks, like not only are you not going to get innovative solutions after a while, because as you said, John, at the very beginning, it's drawing on other people's designs to start with. And there's only a certain amount of range you can get out of that set of designs. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really disruptive about, there's nothing, there's no future disruption once you've broken over the disruption of recombining the data that already exists in any way. There's no future disruption after that. Um, or it seems like there might not be or there shouldn't be. But beyond that, like, nobody even understands the design now because they don't know, like, why was the design? I don't know. Right. The machine did it. Like, and that, that's why, a, why did I take That's the conversation yeah, that I think uh, is not happening that I think should be. You know, what, this, this invariably gets framed around the, uh, the, the progressives versus the Luddites. And I, I think that's an unhelpful way to, to frame it. Um, you know, I think that we should take very good inventory of what technology, what technology is doing, what we want it to do, how we need to maintain it long term, and how we need to develop, you know, the the education pipeline to keep it running. Because because I this is one thing that I find a lot is that things are developed without much thought about how are we going to train up the next generation to to work and expand these systems and that, that's an important question but it doesn't really get asked because we just we, we jump to the next new thing but if we just have a continual flow of new things then there's not going to be anybody who's going to be around to, to who understands how the how the stuff works yeah and, and and this is something that I've been fussing at network engineers for years about is that we get so focused on how to configure a protocol, we don't learn how it actually works. Mm -hmm. And then we get tangled up in all, like, and then we build these protocols that have so many little picky and little corner cases that nobody can really understand anyway, that it becomes impossible to know anything other than how to configure them. I mean, I'm in conversations all the time around um, some open source software I work on where people say, well, is that really how this should work? And, you don't actually know the answer. Like you got to sit down and think about 
if I were an operator and I typed that command, would I be surprised if it did X or if it did Y? Mm -hmm. And really, based on what I'm trying to get done, is is it going to do the right thing? And does it follow the spec? Which spec? Like the spec that five vendors have implemented but is never written down anyplace? Or the spec that's written down but is totally not understandable? Or like, what the, What are we talking about? The one about that everyone spec? implemented is the real spec. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, this is all, these are all really hard questions. And I don't like, with you, I don't think we're asking this stuff. I think we're just like sitting around going, ooh, shiny thing, mm-hmm. squirrel, let's go. And like, is that? We, 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 the next, uh, the next IETF draft ought to be written by GPT-3, don't you think? Chat, oh, sorry, chat GPT. <laughs> that would be great. And just see what happens. Maybe we should try that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so why not do an April 1st draft, right? Well, I mean, so what we just uh, released at Mind Matters, uh, which is the place that I, uh, I write for, uh, we did a, I, I had, I had OpenG, uh, OpenAI rewrite five of our blog posts. And so I, I just picked, I picked five, five posts that, uh, you know, they didn't rely on immediately new information and, uh, but they, they were newer posts. So they probably weren't part of open AI's training set. And I said, you know, go do this and let, let, let's just compare what it looks like if open AI does it versus we do it. So maybe my next article will be, uh, get, getting open AI to replace some, a couple different, uh, technical specifications and see, see how it does. <laughs> and see what it, yeah, see how it does. BGP. Yeah, let's see what it does. Yeah, BGP. Let's see what it does with BGP. The problem is there's not really a spec for BGP any longer. I mean, there's 20 of them if you're right. lucky and like, they all like, you don't know like what to do with that. It's kind of crazy. And, and by the way, this is a real thing in the networking world. Like we have actually declined to write new drafts explaining a protocol for which there is no draft that explains it in full. There's, there's no specification. It's literally what's been implemented. There are specifications out there. They're incomplete. They're poorly formatted. They're whatever, whatever. And we would decline to rewrite those into readable drafts because once you open the can of worms of rewriting the draft, all sorts of little things are going to come out. We should change this. Yep. We should change that. We should add that. And nobody wants to open Pandora's box. Everyone thinks it's a brilliant idea to redo the draft or to redo the spec, but we don't want to open the we don't want to open the box mm-hmm. because once you open the box, it's open, right? And bad things happen. <laughs> well, who who said you needed a draft for loose consensus and running code anyway, right? <laughs> Seriously, running code is the consensus. Yeah. I guess more it than is. two vendors. I mean, as long as as long as you have open source implementations where people can go look at it, but like just closed sure. source implications doesn't that does that's not very helpful in in a spec situation. The code so, is the know. spec. The code is the that's spec. Right. That's right. <laughs> Used to be, IETF drafts would have pseudocode in them to say, this is kind of how you should implement this. I'm not telling you this is how you have to implement it, but this is kind of the direction you should go. And now, you know, go back to AI. Would AI be able to do that? Well, I mean, OpenAI has, has sure. some interesting code generation stuff. I haven't, I haven't dug do, too deeply into that, but uh, so I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't speak to it. But yeah, they, they, they've started doing that, so who knows? 
Yeah. Ah, who knows? Maybe they could generate pseudocode for BGP. We should try it. Just go to the ChatGPT app and just say, generate pseudocode for BGP best path process. See what it comes up with. Would be entertaining to do. Now, one thing that so, I'm curious about, just since we're just chatting about GPT, is, uh, you know, GPT did, you know, all sorts of, uh, uh, you know, massive text processing. But I kind of wondered if you could do a, a GPT fake by simply Googling um, whatever phrase they gave and then Markov chaining the top 10 results. Mm. Yeah, that would be interesting as well. Yeah, something like a buzzword calculator. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but it's really funny. It's like a wheel and you just pick three words and it comes up with these really cool sounding phrases that have no meaning in the real world, like nothing. But it's kind of cool. Well, I mean, we have we we already have uh, Stack Overflow driven development, right? Rather than oh, test driven oh, development, yeah, SODD. So yeah. It, you know, point it to Stack Overflow if it's a coding question. Point it to Google for anything yep. else, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So I don't know. Anyway, all right. Well, I'm kind of done on this. So I have a lot more to talk about. <laughs> uh, maybe it's time for me to go read my book on. What am I reading on right now? I don't remember. But anyway, it's time to go read a book for an hour and cleanse my brain of AI. <laughs> I'm going to go read How to Measure Anything. That sounds pretty cool. To yeah, me. it sounds like a cool book too, doesn't it? Yeah. So, Jonathan, why don't you tell people where they can follow you, uh, get in touch with you. You've mentioned My Matters a couple of times. I think you have your own website and even your own press. Yeah. So it would be really cool to know about those a little bit and what you're writing on right now. And how people can follow that or get in touch with yeah, them. Yeah. So, um, so the the main the main site where I write regularly is mindmatters.ai, and um, that there's I usually write every every couple of weeks for them. Um, I have a lot of books. I, I actually have been moving away from. I, I used to uh, do my own publishing, and I've been moving away from that just because it's so much time. Uh, I've generally been writing for A Press lately, um, so you can find my books on Amazon. And I've got an author page there. I also have a uh, a YouTube channel, BP Learning TV. I don't update it very much, but I, I, I suggest you, you look for me on Amazon. Some of my some of my better, more popular books are uh, have a book called Electronics for Beginners uh, that seems to be going well. I've I just released a book on Kubernetes called uh, Cloud Native Applications with Docker and Kubernetes, and I have a book called uh, Programming for Absolute Beginners. And if you ever wanted to get into math, I have a calculus textbook called Calculus from the Ground Up. And uh, cool. anyway, I... It, it, I've, actually, I've actually read parts of, not the whole thing of Calculus from the Ground Up, but I found it very useful. I just haven't had time to put it in my hopper for a full read. It's been a little bit crazy. I, I wrote it but specifically yeah. because I hated every other calculus textbook I read. And I, I, <laughs> I teach it to homeschoolers. And so I, I went through a whole mass of textbooks uh, trying to find a worthwhile one, and, and I didn't find one. So I just like, fine, I'll write it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so. And Tom, where can people follow you or, or catch up with you? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter or just search for Tom Ammon. Okay. And that's it. Yep. No blog. I, yeah, I know. Um, AI is going to do it all uh, anyway. Why should that's I? That's right. You should just do that. You should just do a <laughs> chat GPT post every week. <laughs> and just let it write your blog for you. And then you wouldn't have to write it anymore. Anyway, all right. I'm Russ White. You can find me here at The Hedge. You can find me on rule11.tech. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, although I don't answer PMs there for the most part. I, mean, I haven't logged in in a long time. 
you know, instant message me or something, try try LinkedIn or just send me an email. My my email address is in my profile on LinkedIn. And I'm also on like a ton of Slacks. If you want to be on a network engineering Slack and you're not on one, I can probably find one for you. <laughs> if you really want to be on a Slack. So anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of The Hedge. Um, we'll, we hope that you will listen to future ones and that you're enjoying our content. And let us know if you have ideas or thoughts on our content. Um, we're non-commercial, but we still listen to feedback. I mean, you know, we just do what we want to do, but we still listen to feedback if you have ideas and stuff and want to hear somebody on or something. Anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of The Hedge, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech.